Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Let's get into, I want to talk about building the church. This has been something we've been talking about for a while. Jesus said this in uh, Matthew chapter 16. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So it made me do some thinking about what Jesus means about building the church, what that looks like, what it looks like for us. Are we doing what he wants to do or are we partnering with him? So I want to jump into that. We love the Bible here at the Rhodes Church. We get a little excited when we open them. So if you have them, let's open them to Matthew 28. Woo! Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said, I will build my church. We've been talking about that in, Mark, in Matthew 16, but I'm just skipping that in this service just for time's sake. Got a lot I want to get to and not a lot of time to get there. When Jesus said he wanted to build his church, remember this, he did not say, I want to simply build buildings that are filled with people. He wanted to build people who are filled with a revelation of who Jesus is. He didn't, it's not that he's against big churches. He's not against that at all. He obviously wants whosoever to come and be saved. But he wants us not just to have buildings full of people, but he wants people filled with him. So if we have a big church filled with a bunch of people, that's fine as long as those people are filled with him. And uh, that's what we're wanting to do. We're wanting to partner with him to build his church, his way, not our way, not the Western church way, but we want to do it his way. So in Matthew 28, we're going to talk about some of the parting words of Jesus. And I'm going to address something specifically that I think has been undertaught in church and uh, some people have never heard some of the things I'm going to preach about today. Some of you watching online or maybe in one of our locations. I forget. I haven't taught a lot about uh, Holy Spirit specifically in a while. And I forget. New people come and new people are coming to different locations, new people watching online. And they may have never heard uh, any message about Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today and, and look at some things. What does it mean to build his church? And I'm going to address some uh, specific things that I think are left out when we're talking about building the church. So let's see what he said. Matthew 28, verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some double, uh, doubled, doubted, <laughs> doubted, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority, how much authority? All authority has been given to me, Jesus talking, all authority has been given to him in heaven and on the and on the earth. So Jesus had authority in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of how many nations? All of them, including the bad guys, whoever that is. I'll let you fill in the blank who bad guys are. Everybody's got an idea of what bad guys are, but we've got to have kingdom mentality, not Worldly mentality. All right? God wants to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Notice what he said, go into all the world and make what? Make disciples. That's the Greek word that means a pupil, a committed student. A follower of someone in the sense of adhering to the teachings or instructions of a leader and in promoting the cause of that leader. That said leader, in case you're wondering, is Jesus. It's not a pastor. It's not a leader. It's not a person. 
we're all following Jesus. So when it talks about making a disciple, these are not people that are loyal to a person, like a human being. They're loyal to Jesus. So when we're talking about making disciples, this is what he's saying. They're people that are committed to going, to, giving their life to Jesus. He didn't say go into all the world and make church attenders. He said make disciples. There's a distinct difference. They can, you can be both. You should be both. But you also can be one and not the other. I can be a church attender and not a disciple. And this is what God's wanting us to do. He's wanting to address these things so that in the church, we're very clear about what Jesus expects and what he calls a follower of him, a disciple, and so that we're not uh, thinking we're fine when we're not fine. Because we're not here to build fans that think we're a great church or that I'm a great speaker. We're not here to break, create fans. We're here to create disciples. Amen. So go in the world, all the world, make disciples of all the nations teaching them, imparting skills and knowledge so that they will observe. Observe means to cause a state to continue to conform one's actions or practice to, teaching them to observe what I have commanded. What are we supposed to teach disciples? To observe what Jesus teaches so that their life, their actions begin to form or conform to Jesus' teaching. So our life should begin to look like his teachings. That's what disciples do. Disciples mean their life begins to look like him. Remember last week we taught in Romans chapter 8 verse 29, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We talked about this but I just want to remind her, this is the goal of all followers of Jesus. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We're not predestined to be conformed to a church seat. Because you're acting like I'm preaching against church. Total opposite. <laughs> people should be coming to church. Too many people are sitting at home watching online that need to be in church. But the issue is when we come to church, why are we coming? We're coming so that we conform into the image of Jesus. So we get to look like him, act like him, talk like him. He is our goal. So it's not... Praying a prayer one time is the goal. Heaven is not the goal. Being conformed in the image of Jesus is the goal. I talked about that last week. If you weren't here, watch last week's message. So when Jesus said, go make disciples, make followers of Jesus, what did Jesus give them so that they could be conformed to his image? He's like, all right, disciples, I want you to begin to look like me. What are we going to do to make that possible? All right, here's where we're going to go through some Bible study. Are you ready? There's going to be some meat today, so get your fork and your good steak knife out. Not that one you bought at Walmart. Get that good one out. No offense to Walmart, I'm just kidding. Get your Bibles. Go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Get the Ginsu 2000 out. That's an old joke, sorry. Do they even make the Ginsu anymore? I don't know. Get some age-appropriate jokes, Chad. John chapter 7, how about just getting a sharp one? John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers 
of living water. What in the world is Jesus talking about? The heading of my little paragraph says the promise of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now notice he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Notice the connection. There's a precursor to the Holy Spirit coming. The Holy Spirit was not given. Why not? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So according to Scripture, according to Jesus' Scripture here he's saying, he had to be glorified before Holy Spirit could be given. Is that clear? Again, just breaking down what the Bible says. So he's saying, Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to be rivers of living water on the inside of you. But he's not come yet because I've not been glorified. All right? Now let's go to John chapter 14. We're going to stay in the book of John. John 14, verse 15. At the heading of this paragraph in my Bible, it says, Jesus promises another helper. Verse 15 says, if you love me, do what? Oh, well, I love God. I just don't really do what I'm supposed to do. Well, if we love him, we've got to keep his commandments. That's how he measures love. I don't want to get off on a tangent there. How many times do we say we love? <laughs> Maybe I should move on. Jesus measures love one way. Do you do what I ask you to do? If you don't do what I ask you to do, you don't love me. That's pretty plain and simple. So if I use that model, I'm not saying when nobody ever makes a mistake. That's not what I'm talking about. But our heart should be to do his commandments. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father. And here's, I'm going to pray the Father. Look what he's going to do. He will give you another helper. The word helper, underline that. Some versions say comforter. It's a Greek word parakletos. Parakleo. Those two words together means parakletos. Para means alongside, very near. Think of the word parasite. If you have a parasite on you, how close is it? It's right up again you, as they would say. It's right next to you. It's attached to you. Kaleo means called. So he's saying, there is someone coming that's called to be alongside you. That's the Holy Spirit. That he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. That's important. The world cannot receive the spirit of truth because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit is going to come. And what's the Holy Spirit going to do? Well, he's going to be your helper. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to be called alongside you, and he's going to begin to reveal to you things. He's going to dwell with you, and he's going to be in you. That sounds good. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to give you somebody to be with you. Now let's go to chapter 15. Chapter 15, look at verse uh, 26 and 27. Again, Jesus speaking. It's in the red. All of this is still Jesus talking. He says, but when the helper, when the comforter, when the parakletos comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, I shall send... Who's talking? Jesus. 
Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit from the Father. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So who, according to Jesus, who shall send the Holy Spirit from the Father? Jesus will. So Jesus is the one who sends Holy Spirit. This is important. The reason why I'm being very clear and very plain about what Jesus is saying. Because if we love Jesus and trust Jesus, would we not trust what Jesus sends us? That's an important key part of the puzzle, if you will, to me. That if Jesus is the one sending me Holy Spirit, and I've been taught to love Jesus because Jesus is awesome, then now I need to trust whatever Jesus sends me. Laying the groundwork for you. This is out of the Bible. Jesus can be trusted, yes or no? Does he give good gifts, yes or no? So then the Holy Spirit that he's sending to us, is it for our good or for our bad? For our good. I should have given a yes or no option there. That You guys were in a groove on the yes or no, sorry. So now, the helper is going to come. Now let's go to chapter 16. John chapter 16. Uh, for time's sake, I'm going to grab just a couple verses, not to take them out of context, it's just for time's sake. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Who's talking? Jesus. He said, it's actually to your advantage that I leave you. Why is that possible, that it's better for him to leave? For if I do not go away, the helper, parakletos, comforter, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. All right? So Jesus had to go away. That's what he said. So that the Holy Spirit could come. And it's actually to your advantage that I go away so he can come. Why is that to our advantage? Because Jesus was God in one body, but he could only be in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit was going to be God on the earth. And he was not just going to be in one place at one time, but he will not only be with you, but he will be in you, and now he can be everywhere inside of everybody. So it's to your advantage that, that God will not just be walking with you beside the Sea of Galilee, but now he will be with you and everyone wherever you go. Man, that sounds like a good deal. That sounds like an advantage. I get God on the inside of me. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, look what he'll do. He will guide you into how much truth? All truth. He will guide you. What does a guide do? Does a guide show you everything all at once? No, a guide gives you opportunities. He guides you through like a museum. You've been guided through a tour, a guided tour. What is this saying to me? That the Holy Spirit is going to guide me through truth and it's going to take me the rest of my life, the rest of eternity for me to see the truth of the fullness of God. It's going to guide me into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So what is the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to tell me things to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine 
and declare it to you. So now the Holy Spirit's going to be our helper. He's going to be our comforter. He's going to be our parakletos. He's going to be called alongside us. He's going to guide us into all truth. He's going to tell me things that the Father and Jesus were talking about. This sounds like a great deal. Do we want, do we need Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit an advantage to us according to Jesus? Did Jesus send the Holy Spirit to us? Yes. So should we trust the Holy Spirit? Yes. So now we just read in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples, right? So now let's go to Luke 24. Go back to Luke 24. Here's something that I feel like needs to be highlighted. Some people embrace the commission, the great commission of Matthew 28, but they did not embrace the great commission of Luke 24. Jesus said, go and make disciples, but there's another part of his instruction that people overlook, and I think it's essential. I think it's essential. So in Matthew 28, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Remember all of that? All right, so now let's go in verse 44 of Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written, man, be, pay attention to this, written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Pay attention for just a moment. The law of Moses, what is that? That's the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Law of Moses. The law of Moses, the prophets, major prophets, minor prophets, Psalms, the book of Psalms and that was written by David and other people in Psalms. All those concerning me. All those books in the Old Testament, they point to Jesus. People are teaching we need to... Get away from the Old Testament. Don't emphasize the Old Testament. Please run away from that false teaching. The Old Testament points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It is a picture, an image of Jesus. Jesus is in Leviticus. He's in Genesis. He's in Deuteronomy. He's in Haggai. He's in all the prophets. He's in Psalms. It is all about Jesus. This whole book is pointed towards him. And he was saying, listen, I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. I came to fulfill the New Testament. I came to fulfill it. So see me in it. Don't do away with it. Go back and read it and see me in it. You saw bulls and goats and lambs. Come and find me in Deuteronomy. Come and find me in Numbers. Mm. He said, I'm there, I'm there. Verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the, the anointed one, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. It was necessary for Jesus to suffer, to rise from the dead on the third day. And, verse 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at North City. <laughs> beginning at Mount Carmel. Beginning at Carlinville. Beginning at Carmi. Beginning at Eldoret. Beginning wherever. Right here. Two things he said should be preached. Number one, repentance. Repentance should be preached. And this is what Jesus is saying. If we're going to build the church, we have to build it right. And the first thing we do is we preach repentance. 
The church has gotten away a little bit from preaching repentance because we didn't want to make anybody mad, afraid they wouldn't come back. So what we have is churches filled with people that think they're going to heaven because they sat in a church and they've never really repented because they didn't know what repentance was. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, I'm trying the best I can. That's not repentance. It's true that we can make mistakes and still have mishaps and stuff like that, but repentance, Greek word, metaneo, here's what it means. Reversal of decision, think differently, change your way of life because of a change in heart and attitude. What must be preached necessary for Christ to suffer and that repentance should be preached in his name to all nations. Repentance, that there should be a change in your way of life a change in your heart, a change in our attitude. It's not, hey, I'm going to church, so I guess I'm okay. I'm a good old boy. I'm a good old girl. I'm fine. I'm not as bad as some people. No. Is there a change in our heart? Is there repentance where I've changed my behavior? I've changed my heart and my attitude. I no longer live for myself and for sin. I live for Jesus. That is what needs to be preached. That people aren't wondering, well, I, I think I'm fine. That nobody's being loving enough to tell you the truth. That if there's no repentance of sin, if there's no repentance and going to the cross and say, I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to live for Jesus. If that's not existing in my heart, I'm not born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven if you're not born again. Like, man, I thought we got away from that kind of preaching. We did, and that's the problem. That's the problem. We got people that think they're fine, and they're not even saved. They've never even repented. They've never walked away and changed their life, changed their hearts and their attitude. They've never changed lords. They're still on the throne of me. God's saying, I need you to preach repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance when he came, Matthew 3, verse 2, and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. John the Baptist, he's a pretty good guy. Jesus preached repentance in Matthew 4, 17. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's kind of important, Jesus. Number three, the disciples were taught to preach repentance in Mark 6, 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. So pick up the theme. The original message from the first preachers of the gospel was this. You must change. You must change your behavior, change the way you think, change your heart, change the way you talk. You must change. And we thought, hey, I thought it was about, hey, Chad, can you tell me how this Jesus can help my life be better? No. The message was supposed to be, we're supposed to change to be like him. Not him do something good so we feel better about us. That was the early gospel. That's how John the Baptist preached, Jesus preached, and the disciples preached. I pray that we will preach that way again. Stop tickling ears so that people feel good and preach repentance. Preach repentance to me. I'm not leaving me out. Preach repentance to me. Preach it to everyone. Repent. Change the way we think. Second thing we're supposed to preach, we're supposed to preach remission of sins. Remission of sins. What does that mean? The word remission there means freedom, pardon, forgiveness, liberty, formal release from obligation or debt. Not that there's not an obligation or debt, but there was an obligation or debt and it was paid by Jesus. We need to preach that there was a debt that we owed that we could not pay, but it was paid for by Jesus. There's two camps that struggle with the message of remission of sins. One, people that are lost in sin, and they really have trouble forgiving themselves because they're so guilty. 
They just keep beating. There's no way. I've done too much. I'm too far gone. I've made too many mistakes. I just can't believe that by grace I can be saved through faith because Jesus died on the cross. Surely he can't forgive me. And there are people listening to me that that's your condition. You're like, I just can't receive salvation because I've been too bad. Second group of people are people that don't really think they're that bad at all. They think they're good people. They think they're nice people in society. They do good deeds. They good, do this and they do that. And they don't realize that there was a debt that, was, that they owed and they cannot get to God without what Jesus did. So lordship of Jesus is essential to understand remission of sins. Which camp are we in? Are we recognizing repentance, remission of sins, or are we going on thinking we're fine on ourselves? Let me go ahead. Verse 48. And you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49. But behold, I send the promise. Everybody say promise. Of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. What was the promise of my Father? We just read about it in John. It is the Holy Spirit. So he said, go into all the world and make disciples. But before you go, wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Why do we need to wait? Jesus, you said go. Well, I said go after you wait. Some people have embraced the Matthew 28 Great Commission, but they've not embraced this Great Commission. This Great Commission said, before you go make disciples, pump the brakes. I need you to wait in Jerusalem until you get the promise of the Father. That sounds like it's pretty important. If Jesus said, don't go another foot, stay put until... You get the promise of my Father upon you. Until you're endued with power. What does the word endued mean? Glad you asked. It means to be wrapped in a covering, to be stowed, to be stowed with a quality or condition, to be wrapped with something. He said, before you go make disciples, there's something I want to give you, and it's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. And when you get the Holy Spirit, you're going to get power from on high. What's the word power? The word power is dunamis, force, ability to perform supernatural, miraculous power. Too many times in churches, we were teaching people that there is a certain level of God that Holy Spirit was in the extra category. But I'm here to correct that and say Holy Spirit is in the basic category. Jesus said, don't even leave town. But we've put it in a certain denominational category that that's extra bonus for really extra people. You know those people that are a little, eh? You know those hand raisers or dancers or shouters? That's the Holy Spirit, that's for them. No, Holy Spirit is for everyone. We've got to stop. We've got to, I just want to address a little bit of religion for a moment. We've got to stop putting ourselves in denominational boundaries. And we need to put ourselves in biblical boundaries. It, it concerns me when we label ourselves according to a, an affiliation with a denomination because it limits us maybe from what someone might teach us because they might say, we don't believe that here. But if it says that here, wait for the promise of my Father, it doesn't say wait for the promise of my Father unless you're a certain denomination, then you go ahead and go because it's not for you. This is why we can't say, well, I'm just a Baptist, or I'm just a Presbyterian, or I'm just a Methodist, or I'm just, you're not just anything but a son or daughter of Jesus. Yeah. 
You're a Christian. You're a follower of God. So don't put yourself in a category that might limit you from what the Bible has for you. Doesn't mean charismatics are better than anybody else. Stop with all of the labels and just say, I'm a Jesus follower. And he said, if you'll wait for the promise of my father, you'll be endued with power from on high. So what's this power, what's this promise look like? Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts, if you don't know it, is like second Luke. Maybe you didn't know that. Acts was written by Luke. And so that's why you can read Luke 24 and it rolls right into Acts chapter 1. Because it's the same author. So this is like, you know, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. This is 1st and 2nd Luke. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious and change the name from Acts to 2nd Luke. Just giving you context for what we're talking about. The former account I made, O Theophilus, this is Luke writing, the former account, what's that? That's the Gospel of Luke. Began of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, after the crucifixion, presented himself alive by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus was alive on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection, right? All right, and what did he do? What did he teach about? He taught them about the kingdom of God. And he began to show them many infallible proofs, any unmistakable proofs. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds like what we just read in Luke 24. He commanded them. What's the word command? Is that a suggestion? Did he say, I command you unless your denomination doesn't approve of it? He didn't say that. He didn't say anything about certain group of people. He didn't say, I command all Pentecostals to go to Jerusalem and wait. Everybody else, go ahead. I'm being a little straightforward, but I'm tired of churchianity limiting people from experiencing everything that Jesus has for them. I'm not angry. I'm just preaching what this says. And some people have never heard this in their life. Sit in church for years and never hear about the Holy Spirit. We're just breaking the lid off of that. So he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Every denomination, every person, there weren't any denominations at this point. But to wait, tarry, for the promise, Bradley, of the Father. I'm just kidding. Wait for the promise. What was the promise? We just read in John. The promise was the spirit of truth that was going to come. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, the parakletos, which he said, you have heard from. Jesus said, I've told you about this. I've been talking to you about the helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the parakletos. I've been telling you about him. Now go wait for him. He's coming Don't leave town without him. This is how important it was. He said, I've already told you about him. This is not new news for you. For John, verse 5, for John truly truly baptized with water. John, who's he talking about? John the Baptist. That's not talking about denomination. They just called him John the Baptizer. For John truly baptized with water, but... You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
not many days from now. Wait a minute. So there's baptism in water. And then Jesus said, not to be confused, there's also a baptism in with the Holy Spirit. He's distinguishing over here John's baptism into water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me take you back. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist is speaking. I indeed baptize you with water unto... Make sure you're with me. John 3, 11. Is it on the screen? Yep. I indeed baptize you with water unto... Repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and... John the Baptist said... What I'm doing right now is not what he's going to do. I'm baptizing you with water unto repentance. And it is good. Nothing wrong with it. But when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who's he? Jesus. Who said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit from the Father? Jesus. So who does the baptizing in Holy Spirit? Do we love Jesus? Do we trust Jesus? Then why are we not receiving the baptism of Holy Spirit and fire from Jesus? He's the one who wants to do it. It's not a denominational thing. It's a Jesus thing. John the Baptist said he would do it. Jesus said he would do it. You're not convinced enough yet? That's all right. Stay right there. Stay right there. What, what, you say, well, wait a minute. Why did the disciples need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Weren't they, weren't they already saved? Go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. You're going to have to listen faster. John chapter 20. I got to get, I got to get here. John chapter 20. Some of you have never heard this ever in your life. Why do I know that? How do I know that? Because I've never heard, I had never heard so many things and I've had people come here over and over and over and say they never heard it. John chapter 20, uh, verse 19. Then that same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Why was peace with you? Listen to me. Very important. Ephesians. We don't have time to go there. Ephesians chapter 2. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, he made peace between God and man. So when he said, peace be with you, he wasn't just saying, yo, peace. I mean, that's cool and all. You can say that. He wasn't. <laughs> that wasn't what he was doing. He was literally saying, peace is with you. Like, I'm the prince of peace, and I'm here. So now, because of what I did on the cross, peace between the Father and the Son looks like me. <laughs> so Jesus was saying, when I'm in the room, peace is with you. There's no more handwriting of requirements against you anymore. There's no animosity between God the Father and you anymore, because peace is here. Oh, man, that's better than what you caught. But that's all right. That's all right. You're still processing. Verse 20. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They're like, dude, it's Jesus. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Peace to you. I made peace between God and the Father. Now I'm bringing peace to you. Oh, this is more than we got time for. 
Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So what, what, what was happening? Jesus had been glorified. So now he made peace between the Father and man. And now when he, he breathes on them and says, receive Holy Spirit, this is the New Testament born-again experience for the disciples. This is where they, their spirit was made new by Holy Spirit to be born again under the New Testament. So when he's saying receive Holy Spirit, he was saying be born again into the newness of life that comes because I have now been glorified and now salvation comes to you through Holy Spirit. So everything changed after Jesus went to heaven, ascended, sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. Now everything changed. Old system's gone. Jesus came back and he says, I give you a new system. Because look what he said in the next verse. He said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Forgiveness of sin has come to mankind through the blood of Jesus. So now, maybe, maybe you're still not grasping it. Go, go to Acts 19. One more. He can play for a while. He's good. Acts 19. Acts 19. <laughs> he likes to play. He's really good. He's talented. I love Caleb. Acts 19. <laughs> we need to see this. We need to see this. Again, because some people have never heard it. Some of this stuff is going to be seed dropped in your heart, and you're going to have to meditate on it. And that's okay. I want you to meditate on it. I don't, I don't have any problem with that. 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Wait a minute. What he said? Go into the world and make Jesus told him to go make disciples. Well, we found some disciples. Are these Christians? Are these followers of Jesus? If they're called disciples, this is the same Greek word that Jesus said, go make in Matthew 28. So that must mean that these people are followers of Jesus because Luke, writing them, knows what a disciple is and he calls them that word in the Greek language. So these are followers of Jesus. So he finds them and he says to them, Paul says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why would he need to ask that question? I thought they automatically get Holy Spirit when they believed. What does it mean, believed? When you believed is when you accepted the gospel, accepted the message of Jesus. So they said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. We've never heard a sermon at all on Holy Spirit. We've never heard any teaching on Holy Spirit. What is this crazy talk you're talking about? Are you Pentecostal? I added all of that. That's not in there. But it is in here. We have not so much as heard whether there is Holy Spirit, but they were believers and they were disciples. So is it possible to be a believer and a disciple and not hear about Holy Spirit? Paul said to them, okay, we, we better dig deeper. He said to them, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Oh, we just, we know what John's baptism is. We just read about it, right? It's a baptism into repentance. Look what it says in verse 4. Paul said it again. Indeed, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, 
saying to people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John said, I baptize you in water unto repentance. Jesus said that John baptized into water, but he said that Jesus was going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. So now Paul's saying, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, you got John, you got baptized into John's baptism of repentance. That's good. That's good. But when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, the men were about 12 in all. I'll have to pick up on this next time. This will be a great Thanksgiving message when we talk about tongues. <laughs> the reason I, I love talking about this subject is because some people have never heard it in their life. They've heard of some crazy stuff that only wild people do. And I'm telling you, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues is the basic elementary parts of the new believer's life. It's not something that leaders should be, ah, let's just get them saved, and maybe over a six-month, 12-month span, we'll introduce them into holy. Why are we waiting? Jesus said, don't leave town unless you get endued with power. And we're trying to send them off without power. He said, Go back to Acts 1-8. I didn't finish Acts 1. This is it. This is it. I promise. Keep playing. Keep playing. I love you, buddy. Verse 7. Oh, they, they asked in 6. You know, they said, John baptized with water. Jesus said this. But you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John baptized with water under repentance, and it was good. It's still good. It's still necessary. But Jesus wants to take us to another step. I want to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And they said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons where the Father put his own authority. And don't get sidetracked with the end times uh, part of this and restoring the kingdom. That's a whole other teaching. Verse 8. But here's the key. But you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, come upon you, endued with. There's one thing, I don't have time. Tit I do, just say. Titus chapter 3, regeneration of the Holy Spirit is what happens when we get born again. The Holy Spirit, when Jesus breathed on him, receive Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does when we get born again. He takes my dead, sinful spirit, regenerates it, and I'm now brand new, made alive in Christ. Now, with that new born-again spirit, because he said the world cannot, I'm trying to put all this together, go back and watch it three times. He said, he said the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. But once I get reborn, I get a born-again spirit, now he can baptize me in Holy Spirit. Because my spirit can contain what Jesus wants to immerse me into. But until, and sometimes it can happen, bang, bang, all together. Sometimes it can happen all at once. It, it's not like, okay, get saved, and then you got to wait so many hours, so many days. No, you can get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, all, bam, all at once. There's no legalistic way you have to do it. I could take you examples for Cornelius and all that, but I don't have time for that. But here's the important, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And too many times people are getting born again because they think getting born again is just praying a prayer and go get them. 
and they're not getting the power. What does power mean? Power, sometimes we think, well, I just got to do mighty miracles. Yes, it's the Greek word dunamis that means miraculous power. But you know, it's also just to overcome sin. You know, it's also to overcome fear. It's to overcome doubt, overcome anxiety, overcome insecurity, power to overcome unforgiveness, power to overcome bitterness, power to overcome whatever, jealousy. Power. It's power to live for Him. Like we have good intentions at this altar and I want to give my life to Jesus. I know I'm lost and I want to get right with God. I want to give him my heart. We say, okay, pray, come, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. But if we don't get Holy Spirit of power in us, we walk away and we still struggle and back and forth. This was a difference maker in my life. All my life raised in church, never heard any. I was them in Ephesus. I had not so much as ever heard a sermon on Holy Spirit. But when I heard about him, and I do good, I was, I was a good Christian boy. Times. All over the board, trying to do good. And I'm not saying I'm perfect now. Please, don't hear that. But something changed in my heart that gave me power. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.